This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, I'm Jeff Darrow, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd, comic cast with Joe and Matt. Hooray. Stay tuned for the local news. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. Welcome to episode 121 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 26th. My name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not scrambling to cover for my deadbeat co-host, because he thinks he deserves to have a week-long birthday celebration, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find occasionally at goodpluscomic.com. And I'm the occasional guest host, David DeMarco. When I'm not healing from gunshot wounds inflicted on me by my so-called friends, I'm the owner of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the writer, co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. Is it sinking in yet? Goodpluscomic.com. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Larflees, number one from DC, and Lazarus, number one from Image. After that, we'll see just how fast we can undo all the hard work <laughs> matt's done for thn while we review 10 more new comics during the ludicrous speed round we actually did air quotes when we said that then we'll visit the thn sanctum sanctorum where dave's occasional brushes with death will allow us to see the future of next week's comics finally we'll take a look inside the comic studio during an interview with mouse guards david peterson but before the senate tries to shut down our filibuster let's take a moment to start a dramatic slow clap for the Supreme Court of the United States and their decision to strike down the Defense of Marriage Act, proving that once in a while, they're actually capable of acting in the best interests of the American people. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. We're starting off with a story that's a little outside the norm for us. According to reports from DC's retailer Roadshow, the publisher's Vertigo imprint will soon be taking huge strides to make their titles easier for retailers to support. Aside from sending out full-issue PDF previews and making certain issues fully returnable, one retailer reports that Vertigo will soon pay 100% of the co-op advertising costs for any retailer that uses Vertigo in their advertising. Historically, DC would pay 50% of those costs. Further, DC sees Vertigo, which is now under the purview of new executive editor Shelley Bond, as a place for new talent to get their start and find their creative voice. Now, Dave... As a comic shop owner, what do you think of these new initiatives from Vertigo? And we should clarify for the listeners, uh, co-op advertising is like when you want to put out an ad in your local paper or on TV that says, Coming soon from Vertigo Comics, The Wake Number 1 by Scott Snyder, available at Legend Comics and Coffee, address, phone number. I love it already. Yeah, and (laughs) so if you are using DC material or Vertigo material to promote their book as well as your shop, DC has always paid a chunk of that. Yeah. Up till now, only half. But now with Vertigo, it looks like they're just going to say, hey, here you go. Good job. That what? sounds perfect. I know, right? Like, <laughs> Where's the downside it, other than children coming into the store and asking for more Hellblazer? <laughs> right. It's like, you know. I want the new comic, The Wake. I saw it on the TV. I'm sorry. I, saw it, on, I saw it on Adventure Time. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> I saw it up late on Cinemax. Yeah. Uh, of course you did. Anything that the comic companies can do to help people like me support their work and get it out there is 100% appreciated. I mean, I, we are all in this together, yeah. right? And so hopefully, I don't think advertising in a local, like I, our stores in Omaha, right? Right. How much is it 
could it possibly be to get an ad in a local Omaha paper to say, come to Legend Comics and check out all this great stuff that I am happy to spend hours Talk when people come through the door. I'll talk to them for as long as it takes to put that book in their hand. Right. So it's a win-win. Yeah, and it's definitely a good move by Vertigo, which kind of seemed like it may be floundering in recent months uh, with the departure of Karen Berger, who was essentially the founder of Vertigo. Sure. And the cancellation of Hellblazer. Things like they looked a little grim. I mean, they have they had the wake on the horizon. And now, ah. haha, and now a new uh, Jeff Lemire book, Trillium, coming out. So oh, yeah. it's not that they don't have stuff coming out. It's just, but what is there to really get excited about like like it was back in the day when you had stuff like Transmet and Preacher and Fables? Sure. But then- know, or or uh, Why the Last Man. It, it's been a while since there's been that much excitement. And for Vertigo to take the step, any step, to try to gain some of that back, I think is huge. Yeah. The idea that they are going to say, hey, retailers, here are the first two issues of this book coming out. Read them for free and order them with confidence. Yeah, and, re- and the returnability. The that's- returnability thing as well. Uh, like These are all wonderful, positive steps. And to make it more relevant, perhaps to our listeners who are not retailers, right. I would Sorry, assume. everybody. Well, I just think, I think personally, even from, a, even from a fan standpoint, I think it's fascinating because it, it really shows that DC has confidence in the Vertigo brand Yes. And they want to build it back up into, you know, what it was when it was at its peak. And I want that. I think that Vertigo is far too valuable for DC to let flounder. No, yeah. And it's definitely a positive step for them in that regard. Sure. And it should be noted that if this is also used to help foster new creative people, because right now, comic books, I don't think have ever been better. I think the I writing and the art and everything, I, there are so many books to recommend to people. I fear sometimes that they think I'm lying to them. Right, that, yes. This book is so good, you have to read it. Oh, this one's even better. Read that one now. And that's the thing. If Vertigo keeps the quality up, I'm happy to recommend it. But I, I mean, I don't care how much they give me. If it's a bad book, I'm not going to, well, to yes. recommend it. I mean, luckily, the publishers are more than willing to put out a book that's completely terrible. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Right. <laughs> This week, Boom Studios announced that they have purchased Archaea Entertainment, publisher of award-winning comics and graphic novels such as Mouse Guard, Return of the Dapper Men, and A Tale of Sand. Archaea had a rough 2012, having gone through a switch in book distributors that ultimately proved detrimental to the company. Speaking of Boom, Archaea President and Chief Operating Officer Jack Cummins said, quote, We are thrilled and excited to join with Boom. Boom is very committed to maintaining the brand we've worked so hard to build and preserving our relationship with our creators, fans, and retailers. They're fans of Archaea first and foremost and are avidly working behind the scenes to expand our market penetration (laughs) and carry our catalog deeper into retail channels. So, Joe, is this a good move for Archaea? Well, I mean, if it kept them in business, then I guess, sure. Yes. You mean burning down just and leaving nothing but ashes is not a good business model? I mean, in doing research for this story, I found that the they had switched from using Diamond for their book distribution, whom we are huge fans yeah. of as as retailers, oh, yeah, uh, to another company, and for whatever reason, uh, reasons that do not really matter to us, crazy clown distributing, yeah. Uh, it just didn't work out for them in the end, and they went back to Diamond. Mm. It boggles the mind. It that does. That, is, it that somehow the mind. leaving Diamond was 
a bad decision that, of going that back. there was a viable option other than diamond and it was the wrong decision it doesn't make sense maybe they don't hire day laborers to do their book distribution <laughs> but that's a whole nother discussion another discussion for another time I, I i think if anyone was going to pick them up i'm glad it was boom you sure. know because boom is really putting out a lot of great stuff as well uh, they have a wonderful kids line which i think falls in line with Stuff that Archaea likes to put out, like Mouse Guard, and uh, yeah. they also did the Fraggle Rock comic and the Last Unicorn. I, Which is, I think it's the a Last good Unicorn fit. was beautiful. And if Archaea can continue to put out the same quality of stuff, like if you look at the books, like we've reviewed several of them on the show: Mouse Guard, uh, Rust, uh, uh, Tale of Sand. Yeah, these are not just great stories, but the books themselves are work- works of art. And if they can maintain that. I think it will be good for the company in the long run. It does. It was reported that uh, the president, Jack Cummins, and also the editor in chief are staying with the company. Oh, so you know, ideally, that's a good. Sign. After a period of transition, Archaea can get back to doing what they do best and not have to worry so much about how to get their books in the hands of people that don't go to a comic shop. You know, sure. And you know, if it works out for them, I think it's a great thing. And having the idea of them going away, I think, would have been a shame. Oh, God, yeah. No. So, Archaea must remain. Yes, absolutely. Uh, market penetration, though. Gross. We don't have to talk. That's Listen, this is a clean podcast. Market saturation? There you e- go. Even, I think even worse. <laughs> Finally, in the wake of DC's Masters of the Universe revival, the original He-Man comic writer is suing Mattel for his stake in the franchise. Donald Glutt. Definitely isn't a household name, but according to the writer, he's the man responsible for much of the backstory of He-Man and his friends. Glut wrote the mini-comics that came packaged with the original run of Masters of the Universe action figures over 30 years ago. Some of you old folks might remember them. Glut claims that Mattel told him the name of the characters and what the toys could do, and he created the rest from whole cloth. Seems suspect. (laughs) Glut also claims that Mattel's license to the stories he created will expire in 2016, while Mattel obviously calls the claims baseless and stale. So, Dave, does Mr. Glut have any legal standing here? Well, considering I have... You're a lawyer. I am the farthest thing away from being a lawyer. Uh, This is kind of, to me, like a dumbed-down version of the whole Siegel-Schuster Superman DC thing. The kerfuffle. Very, very much so. You know, but... That they at least Siegel and Susha came up with the, the Superman, yeah, the, yeah. The, everything. He got the characters like here's Skeletor. He has a sword and he punches guys. Here's He Man, kind of the same, not a skeleton. Go. And then he's saying that he owns a chunk of the franchise for the tiny little comics that came with the toys. Right. Like, did he invent Eternia and Prince Adam and any of that other stuff? Like, I want to know how much of the stuff that Glut created is still held true versus what the cartoon created. Right. Because the cartoon did not match up with those comics. Not at all. And I'm willing to bet that a whole bunch of the stuff Glut wrote is not anything anyone has ever thought about in 30 years. Right. Well, it's like the we just looked at the Star Wars on the cover previews. What if that... Who, who was writing the Star Wars comic? Do they own the big... Jacks or whatever the big green bunny. Like, oh no, that's ours. We came yeah. up with that, Lucas. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's it's like Marvel. Our uh, Lucasfilm came to Marvel in the seventies very famously. They got the rights to do Star Wars comics before the movie came out. 
Right. And they were like, Darth Vader, go. Yeah, he's green. And Marvel like <laughs> had no idea. They just made it up out of whole cloth. And so. for Marvel to claim that they own Darth Vader, I mean now, yeah. they're all owned by the same company. That would but... be a baseless and stale claim. Yeah, this they're... is my new favorite phrase. <laughs> it is a baseless and stale. Uh, I, you know, Dave said it off the air, and I, I think it rings true. Normally, we kind of like to root for the little guy, but in this case, no. it seems like kind of nonsense <laughs> to me. Yeah, maybe Donald Glut. Does he have some gambling problems? Not to speak. I mean, <laughs> is something? Do you do you need us to call the police, Mister Glut? Are you in trouble? <laughs> we sure? will. You, I understand. I you just have... need to get out of the house. <laughs> I just need to get away from the house. By the power of Grayskull. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where Dave and I are posting our very own Masters of the Universe fanfiction featuring the unlikely wedding of Fisto and Extendar. We'll be expecting our checks in the mail sometime in about 30 years. (laughs) It ain't no big deal in Eternia. They legalized same-sex marriage eons ago. Right. Only three others share... Every Friday, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. Then we read your responses and play your voice messages on the Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. You can call us on Skype. Our Skype handle is TwoHeadedNerd or at our Ziggurat direct line 402-819-4894 and leave a message. Joe, what did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, what is your favorite toy line from childhood and what was your favorite toy from that line? Dave DeMarco, you won't be on the answer of the week. Oh. You got one? I have one. Sure. Give it to me. Uh, Robotech was my favorite toy line growing up in the 80s. Yeah. And my favorite toy from it was the Cyclone, which was the motorcycle that could transform into body armor around the rider. And it was That's the greatest. I, I got one. It was at Osco Drug, and I threw a tantrum in the toy aisle. And got, <laughs> I think it might have been called Krugs at the time. Oh, yeah. Or Skags. Skags. It was, it was Skags. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Sounds like a winner to me. If you want to hear your answers along with our own, go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the Answer of the Week audio blog later this week. It's review time on THN, where Dave and I mix two comics with copious amounts of butter and sugar to see which one will give us diabetes first. Dave, what are you reviewing this week? I am reviewing Larflees number one from DC Comics, written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, art by Scott Collins. This is where Matt would say Dematteis. Oh, And really? I would yell at him. Oh, my God. Dematteis? He's an ignorant slob. My last name is DeMarco. I'm very familiar with the DM sort of thing. I appreciate you for it. <laughs> All right. According to the solicit, Larflees, the breakout character from Blackest Night, Last seen in the pages of Threshold is back in his own solo ongoing series, and he's not sharing it with anyone. In his debut solo adventure, Larflees meets Laord of the Hunt, <laughs> a pan-dimensional cosmic entity that believes all living things are prey, and he's out to turn the universe into his own private hunting reserve. And the only thing worse than Laord is the deadly beings he can summon. So, Larflees the character you know him he is that pig dog from the pages of green lantern and he is the soul bearer of the orange light of avarice which is a concept that i enjoy i don't read a lot of green lantern but the orange is the color of greed and so i think wisely they decided let's give the orange lantern to just one guy he controls the whole thing 
and then his construct like his his core are the orange constructs of people that he has killed in his yeah like trek across the universe it's actually quite chilling yeah it's gross it's spooky and terrible so all right i am i am intrigued by this book so i pick it up who wrote it ah a duo i am familiar with keith giffen and jm dia de mateus you know how it goes and uh i remember them mainly from like justice league international and they're always like they always write together it seems yeah, yeah. and i like them but their books always kind of feel silly like they're funny ambush right. bug right that sort of stuff and i would think that with a character like larflees while you can have some fun with it you can have fun like i feel that they made jokes in blackest night like with the the black hand like there was a couple of like eh, you know funny but this would be a better book if it were darker you know it's and i mean it's not dar- a dark book this no. book is it's like a cartoon it is a, yeah it's like watch it's like larflees might as well be like yosemite sam and then uh stargrave is his like weird green butler he's like a porky pig you know and he's just like oh sir or it's kind of like um uh sam and twitch you know they have sure and selmo gruff and whatever and twitch is just well pardon me you know and then all so larfley serves to be ridiculous and stargrave sits there and responds to his being ridiculous with pithy little sayings like you're a billion years old that is right one would think that after a billion years you would be smarter you know something like and that's all that's it like that's the level so it's like a midnight run buddy comedy with stargrave who makes backhanded compliments and larflees who is over the top and gross and i don't know here's a sample of the humor in the book larflees uh, is responding to stargrave saying that larflees is overreacting and he's going i do not overreact and he's his mouth is cartoonishly big and he's spitting everywhere and it's like ha ha that's funny do you get it he's overreacting right over not overreacting exactly next in the issue of larflees number two look for the following jokes larflees saying he is humble and modest in fact he's the most humble and modest person in the whole universe and then stargrave saying he isn't going to wear that dress no sir not going to happen no way turn the page He's in that dress. Oh, He's man. wearing the dress. Oh, man. There he is. There is a little insight into Larflees' origin, which I did not get in... I didn't read a lot of Green Lantern when all the orange, all the colors are going on. I just knew it tangentially. So his origin could have been really sad and tragic, but instead they turn into one big joke, and I think the punchline of the joke is baby Larflees having just been born, being dragged through a dirty field by his umbilical cord. Like, still trailing out of his mother. Yeah. So, one, that is not funny. It's horrifying. Two, that's, that made me kind of sad. Like, it, made, it didn't serve the story. It didn't, I don't know. Um, if I had to assign this book a letter grade, uh, I'd give it a W. Not because it is bad, and it has fallen so far below F that it's like at a W. But it is W for Y. Why, DC, did you do this? It doesn't make any sense to me leave it yeah this this is where matt bomb would ask if we need this and i hate it when he asks that question because we don't need any of them they're comic books they're they're frivolous they're entertainment they're escapism i i want them i love them i appreciate them as art uh you know i value them do i need them no if there's something out there that's bad i just won't read it sure but this has me like honestly questioning who thought that 
a Larfleeze ongoing series. Yeah, this isn't a mini or anything. Was a good idea. Oh. And the idea that they have taken a character that you very well said was, you know, kind of dark and, and spooky and crazy. And it's like, oh, that guy, that whole army is people that he has murdered. Yes. <laughs> and whose essence is he's absorbed into the lantern. That's awful. Yeah. You know, and now he is. He is Wiley e. Coyote. You know, like he's a Looney Tunes character. He's drawn like a demented Who villain from a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, and it's like everything that was kind of creepy and cool about the character is deadened by this like farce. Yeah, I don't understand the thought process here. I'm giving it a leave it as well. I mean, we certainly, you know what, Matt, you win. We yeah. did not need this book. Well, and especially because now it diminishes Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver's work. Ethan Van Skyver, I looked at the pictures of Lar- like older books with Larflees. He's like hideous. Scary. Yeah, he's all like clutching the orange lantern. His eyes are white and he's just like, Meh. yeah. This is not that Larflees. This is like a, yeah, a cartoony, goofy villain. Yeah. So, yeah. Give this one a pass. So, what did you read this week, Joe? My pick for this week was Lazarus, number one, from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, with art by Michael Lark. Here's your solicit. In a dystopian near future, government is a quaint concept. Resources are coveted, and possession is 100% of the law. A handful of families rule, jealously guarding what they have and exploiting the waste who struggle to survive in their domains. Forever Carlisle defends her family's holdings through deception and force as their protector, their Lazarus. Shot dead, defending the family home, forever's day goes downhill from there. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to get this off my chest right off the bat. Greg Rucka doesn't write nearly enough comic books. He's been off focusing on his prose work and the occasional Stumptown mini, and that's fine, but I need more. I need more from Greg Rucka. More Rucka. I didn't realize how much I missed reading Rucka's work until I read Lazarus number 1. The solicit says it all. Lazarus is set in a world where the ultra-rich control everything and have built their empires on the backs of the working class. Forever is an unkillable enforcer tasked with protecting her corrupt family's interests. But when she starts to question the job she's expected to perform, Forever's family tries to bring her further under their control. Forever Carlisle is a deeply flawed but extremely capable woman, which is one of Greg Rucka's go-to character types. He went to the Joss Whedon school of <laughs> yeah. ladies. You know, see Renee Montoya, <laughs> uh, um, the gal from Queen and Country whose name I'm forgetting. Oh, don't look at me. Um, you're better than you're better than me at all. This. <laughs> I know. Uh, like I want to say Tara Chase or something. I, I mean, I've I've read half of it. It's just been a while. The Huntress was oh, course, the yeah. modern Huntress was a character that he you know, molded into who basically who she is today. But unlike many of Rucka's other characters, she isn't on the side of angels from the jump uh, forever, or as they call her Eve in the book, which I was grateful for. Yes. Cause forever is a little silly. It is. Eve does many terrible things in this issue and she struggles to understand the conflict she's feeling when she's never known anything else. And I thought that that was really interesting. Like, they almost imply that she's kind of been bred for this. Yeah. And so she doesn't understand why she feels wrong about killing a group of people that were only looking for something to eat. This is classic. It's the sort of dystopian future that I will read or watch all day. The the person who is in a society where like emotions have been bred out, like Equilibrium or THX-1138. Oh, yeah, forget the Matrix. Yeah, and then they feel that twinge of humanity. Right. And so what you're looking at, this is setting up to be like a very large 
redemption story and whether if if it's just forever's redemption like is it going to go on where she joins an underground rebellion and then fights to make the world a better place and she can't be killed yeah. so she's the perfect person to try or influence her family and keep them from treating the for god's sakes they call the people who aren't like directly involved with the family or like you know helping the family with like scientists the waste yeah the, the, waste. the people like what well, one hundred thousand people farming your crops are the waste you know oh god yeah the world Rucka and Lark have built, I, I think, is really interesting. It's the near future, but there's nothing overtly futuristic about it, aside from the fact that there are living, breathing, killing machines that can shrug <laughs> off bullet wounds walking around. Uh, in fact, much of the world actually seems like it's regressed a little bit, technologically speaking, with the real advances being reserved for those in power. You know, they have fancy helicopters and crazy medical offices, but it's not like there are ray guns and hover bikes. You no. know, it's actually kind of a, you know, you, it's a bummer of a place. You wouldn't want to live there. Right, yeah. Maybe in your super awesome rich, yeah, if you rich were person one of, tower. If you were one of those assholes. <laughs> right. right. Uh, it's really fascinating, and I'm really excited to see the setting fleshed out more. Uh, Michael Lark's art is always a joy to see, and he draws the hell out of this issue. I'm a huge fan of his work. It was very good art. Eve is a striking figure, appearing incredibly strong, but also kind of vulnerable. There's a scene in the where she's being examined after after an, an initial um, action sequence, and she is like ripped. Yeah, not not like you know like a statuesque buxom you know wonder woman type but she's no. just like compared to the other dude in the room she's imposing like sarah connor yeah so like yeah. when she's standing up next to anybody else in the room you your eye immediately goes to her she's very she's very striking uh the opening scene of the issue is brutal and thrilling and very well paced i loved it there are several pages of back matter at the end of lazarus number one that explain the story of how the title came to be it's really interesting according to rucka it took over a decade for he and Lark to make this book a reality. Various things kept them apart, finding the right publisher, finding the right idea. You know, they just had like the germ of an idea and it took this long to flesh it out. I think it was worth the wait. I'm giving this one a buy it. I also give it a buy it. It was a great read and I had a good time with it. If I had any complaint, it was that I immediately wanted more of the story. Like it felt a little too decompressed, maybe. There's just, it's a, it's a fight. It's a meeting, it's a thing, it's over. I kind of want, like, this is a world that is complex, and how did it get to be this way? Maybe, like, if they'd given me that page of, expo- like, exposition, just something to, to unless, unless they did give it, and I missed it because I was reading it late at night. Sure. Oh, God. Well, I mean, there is... I'm sorry, Greg Ruck, it's wonderful. <laughs> Keep, please write more of it right now. In the, in the front of the book, there's a little bit uh, that kind of explains things a little bit better than the solicitation does. Um, and, uh, well, here, I'll just read it. Ooh. The world now lies divided, not amongst political or geographic boundaries, but amongst financial ones. Wealth is power, and that power rests only with a handful of families. The few who provide a service for their ruling family are cared for. All others are waste. In each family, there is one person given the best they can offer, training and technology and assets, every scientific advantage. This person is named their family's sword and shield, their protector, their Lazarus. In the family Carlisle, the Lazarus is called forever. This is her story. Oh, well, yeah, that gave me goosebumps. All right, hooray. <laughs> I rescind everything I just said, and Greg Rucka is a genius. <laughs> please, your... please come to Legend Comics and Coffee on Wonder Press. <laughs> There's your pro tip, kids. Always read the opening page. The opening page on the inside cover, where it's like... 
It's just like the the you know, image and then Greg where Mark. all these words are. I didn't see that. Yep. It was I just saw this. <laughs> My eyes instinctively go to the bottom. So that's a double leave it for Larfleeze number one and a double buy it for Lazarus number one. Of course, we want to know what you biblically named space hoarders thought of these comics. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I couldn't think of anything else. It's all It right. was late. Yeah. It's it, just late. Just like last Matt normally writes his part. <laughs> so be sure to share your slobbery overreactions with us at the comment section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. With Paula Deen's unfortunate exit from TV, the celebrity chef has had no choice but to take her culinary skills to the seedy underbelly of the drug trade, where her choice mix of Buddha, sugar, and methamphetamine will give us the edge we need to review 10 comics for this week's Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Adventures of Superman, number two, from DC. I was a tad disappointed with this issue of Adventures of Superman. All the three stories didn't get me in the feels like it did in the first one. Uh, still, I love anthology books, and a s- anthology book with Superman is like a dream come true. So, skim it, but keep an uh, eye out on the future. There you go. Batman Superman, number one, DC. Though there were a few silly moments, I thought this was a great debut issue from DC. Greg Pak seems to have a knack for writing the voices of young Superman and Batman, and the art by Jay Lee is unbelievably gorgeous. There is an art shift toward the end of the book, but it makes sense in the context of the story. Don't pass this one up. Buy it. Adventure Time, number 17 from Boom. Sometimes I forget about this comic, and I have no idea why. I love the show, and the comic is a perfect extension of it. The art, the dialogue, all of it, completely on point. Adventure Time is a great, fun book. Buy it. Mouse Guard, Legend of the Guard, Volume 2, Number 1, Archaea. This is the latest in the series of Mouse Guard anthology tales by other well-known writers and artists. David Peterson provides a framing sequence that sets up stories by the legendary Stan Sakai, Ben Caldwell, and more. Unlike a lot of anthologies, though, even the meh stories are pretty great. This is wonderful stuff, and a great introduction to the world of Mouse Guard. It gets a huge buy it. The Wake, number two from Vertigo. Scott Snyder writing, check. Sean Murphy art, check. Underwater terror aboard a submarine with some form of mer person from our genetic past, double check. Double check. I cannot wait to see where this story goes, especially after the end of issue two. Buy it. Uncanny number one, Dynamite. This was a fun little thriller from Andy Diggle and Aaron Campbell about a con man that can read a person's skills and knowledge for a few minutes at a time. A little bit like Rogue, he touches them and then he all of a sudden knows that they've got a gun under their coat and uh, the combination to their footlocker or whatever. It's fun. Uh, the art is a little stiff at times, but overall I really enjoyed this first issue. Plus, it's nice to see something original from Dynamite for a change instead of... Licensed books and a golden age public domain revivals that like old dudes care about. Buy it. <laughs> Daredevil 27 from Marvel. The exciting conclusion to who has been ruining Daredevil's life? Yeah, surprise, it's Bullseye. It's Bullseye. <laughs> this issue has everything I want in a Daredevil book, and Chris Somney's art is amazing as usual. Buy it. Red Lanterns number 21, DC. I am a big Guy Gardner fan, and new writer Charles Soule has a good handle on the character. Unfortunately, the very second the Red Lanterns show up, 
I lose every bit of interest I had in the book. There's not an ounce of fun to be had here. <sighs> Guy Gardner or not, I can't I can't recommend this. I'd rather they cancel Red Lanterns and start a Guy Gardner solo series. I'm giving this a leave it. I'm sorry. I'm just not a fan. I forgot to finish my review there. You may have noticed. <laughs> Jupiter's Legacy, number two from Image. I am not a huge Mark Miller fan, but Jupiter's Legacy is like one half noble causes, one half eh, authority. Bolstered by Frank Quietly's art. I am actually excited for the rest of this series, so I'm going to give it a buy it. Hawkeye number 11, Marvel. I know it's only June, but I'm calling it now. Hawkeye number 11 will probably get my vote for best single issue of 2013. Pizza Dog takes center stage, (laughs) and the story is told from a dog's eye view. The way David Aja and Nat Hollingsworth illustrate Pizza Dog's view of the world is inventive and stunning. This issue is funny, touching, and heartbreaking. Well done, Team Hawkeye. Huge buy it from me. Don't be a dummy. Go buy this book for the love of God. Scranch! That is your ludicrous speed round, and scranch is the sound of Batman dropping a refrigerator on Superman's head from a 10-story window, as seen in the pages of this week's Batman Superman number one. As long-time listeners should remember, Dave has given his life not once, but twice for THN. While the afterlife continues to spit him back, each time Dave pierces the veil... The barrier between him and the secrets of the universe becomes weaker. Now, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Dave will share what his near-death experiences have shown him about next week's comics. Dave, what title has spoken to you from beyond? Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number one, from Marvel Comics. Written by Nick Spencer. Art by Steve Lieber. Solicit. Boomerang some of Spidey's deadliest baddies prove that with terrible powers come terrible responsibilities. Rising star Nick Spencer teams with Eisner award-winning sensation Steve Lieber for a walk on the Spider-Verse's evil side. <laughs> I am totally excited for this book because I love Spider-Man's D-list villains. Me, me too. And I love Steve Lieber. I kind of like Boomerang. I uh, think he's fun. My favorite Spider-Man villain of all time is the shocker and well, he is front and center we we often talk about how he wears a mattress for a costume <laughs> and i think that, that makes me angry i hope that that is still canon <laughs> that he has not changed his sweaty urine soaked prison prison mattress, mattress. <laughs> joe what are you excited about for the future my pick for next week is satellite sam number one from image comics written by matt fraction Art by Howard Chaikin. Here's your solicit. New York City, 1951. The host of beloved daily television serial Satellite Sam turns up dead in a flophouse filled with dirty secrets. The police think it was death by natural causes, but his son knows there was something more. If only he could sober up long enough to do something about it. If only the writer of this solicit could sober up long enough to spell the word enough. This noir mystery, shot through with sex and violence, exposes the seedy underbelly of the golden age of television. Matt Fraction, Howard Chaikin, both of them untethered by corporate uh, morality. (laughs) I don't know. Like, Black Kiss was too far. 
too far. But maybe this is just the right, just the right spot I to saw, scratch. I saw the picture in the solicit. It was a dead man with underpant butt lady standing <laughs> above him. <laughs> and also, I feel kind of bad because I just was reading about George Reeves, and that all came flooding back to me. Yeah, I think. I think this sounds like it will be a fun, sexy, funny little mystery book. And I think that this is a great creative team to tell that kind of story. The THN Trade Paperback of the Week is Masks and Mobsters Volume 1 Hardcover from Image Comics by Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson. Here's your solicit. When mob enforcer Bobby Silver killed masked hero Dr. Daylight in cold blood, it sent shockwaves through the masked community. Now, in the eyes of the heroes, the mob is their number one enemy, and it's war. Shouldn't the mob have already been their number one enemy before they killed one of their guys? (laughs) This sounds like a fun little original graphic novel. I'm I'm planning on checking it out. Superheroes, mobsters, it's a fun little mashup. Sounds kind of fun, and I like Josh Williamson. Sure, of course. We want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So be sure to tell us what secrets your brushes with death have revealed to you over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. While Matt celebrates his slow march to death, we might as well salvage what little he managed to get done for this week's episode. Join us as we go inside the comic studio with Mouse Guard creator David Peterson in an interview Matt recorded before abandoning us in mid-production. Shame. I am here with David Peterson, creator of The Mouse Guard, one of our favorite series here at THN. And he's going to talk a little bit today. David, thank you very much for joining us here in the Ziggurat. That's what we call our little recording studio, even though you're on the phone. (laughs) It's nice to be piped into the Ziggurat. (laughs) So we've got Mouse Guard, Legends of the Guard, Volume 2, Number 1, just hit the shelves on Wednesday this week. And I couldn't help but notice you're working with Stan Sakai on this one. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Let's talk about that for a minute here. How you gather, we should I should tell everybody first, for those of you who don't know what the Legends book is, it's actually tales from the Mouse Guard universe as told by different creators. I'm curious how you go about deciding who's going to work on this with you and how much control do you have over their story? Do they have to bounce it off you or is it really just like, tell a story, I trust you? It starts. It's, well, when we started with Legends, there were there were two names that kind of got Legends rolling, and it was Jeremy Bastian and Mark Smiley. Love Jeremy Bastian, um, big fan. Yeah, Jeremy's a good friend of mine. We get together and draw every week with some other people in the area. Um, He's a Michigan guy as well. Yep. Okay. Yep. He lives about forty minutes from my house. Jeremy's the creator of Cursed Pirate Girl. For those of you who don't know, check it out. Excellent stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and Jeremy's actually the guy who first got me going to comic conventions before Mouse Guard even. So, really? He's, yeah, he's, he's been there with Mouse Guard since, since, uh, since I started working on it seriously. He had done some pinups for the first Mouse Guard series, and I said, I just wish I could get you to do more. Like, I want to see more of your version of Mouse Guard, because it's just so cool looking. And then also Mark Smiley, who was president of Arkea at the time, um, had done a pinup that also just really, I felt, captured Mouse Guard the the spirit of mouse guard and i said man between you and mark jeremy i wish i wish there was a way i could get you guys to do more but obviously you can't do a full issue by yourself because that would that would take way too much time you know right for either one of you to take off from your own project yeah, stop working on whatever you're making money on and do something yeah for yeah, yeah. <laughs> right right <laughs> so we uh 
I started thinking, like, if there was only a way I could do a thing where maybe Mark or Jeremy or maybe some other people did only about five pages each or something around there. And that's and then I had to worry about how to make it not affect my continuity and all of that. And so that's how the Legends kind of thing was formed, where they're telling the tall tales. And then that way the story can be as close to Mouse Guard or as different from Mouse Guard actual history as possible. That's brilliant. Uh, and and uh, and then I just started making a list, like, okay, I've already got Jeremy and Mark. Who else? And I made a list of people that I had talked to already, or, or professionals that had come by the table and said that they enjoyed Mouse Guard. Um, people who I just thought their sensibilities were kind of Mouse Guard esque, and maybe I knew them on a personal level. Um, and then some long shots, and I just made this. I compiled this huge list, and uh, for for most of Legends Volume Two, the current one. We're still poaching off of that initial list. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, but I handpick everybody. It's it's about asking if they're if they're interested, if it's something that they'd like to do, and and generally that I have a relationship with them and that I know that they're into Mouse Guard and that I think it's going to be a good fit. And then you asked about how how involved I am, and for the most part, I really just want them to do their work. Um, I give them some ground rules about things that can and can't happen in the mouse guard world. Right. Like no humans and, and no, no domestic animals because then that implies humans. Right. So, you know, secretly mouse guard is set in Michigan. So I say, try to keep the, <laughs> I didn't the, know that <laughs> the animal species and the, the plant species to Michigan. I ask them to stay away from my main characters. But I also say, if you have a story that, that contradicts one of those rules and you really want to tell it, run it by me. And in the, the two instances where somebody ran it by me, I said, oh, perfect. And that was Carl Kershaw. He wanted to do a story about Sadie. And um, Craig Rousseau wanted to do a story that had a lion in it, even though lions aren't in Michigan. And I said, as long as you don't use the word lion, as long as you just, you know, make it out to be this crazy beast. Sure. You know, wild beast with a, a wreath of, of fur like a like a field of wheat around its neck. And, right. You know, like, just describe it like that, and then that works. And that was, you know, in the, the mice tavern that have never seen a lion, you're describing what a lion is. Yeah, and because literally this is a bunch of mice BSing in a bar, more or less. Yeah. So, yeah, so really, exactly. any story could be told. Yeah. So I want th- these stories to be to be purely them. I mean, I could I could write and draw legend stories myself, but the whole the whole exercise here, the whole point is to get these really cool people who have different looks, different styles, different storytelling sensibilities, to have fun in the mouse guard world. And if I start getting in the way and meddling, then it starts to be a David Peterson story. Right. I want it to be a Dan Sakai story. I want it to be a Jeremy Bastian story. So this is your chance to play editor for a change. Yeah. Is it different working on the regular book that you do? Like, do you? I guess not emotionally, but is it different in a sense putting this book together does it feel like a vast departure from just the normal Mouse Guard series that you work on? I, or when, when we started talking about Legends seriously the, for the first volume, I like anthologies, but I know historically, if you talk to a publisher, if you talk to booksellers, yeah. they say... They don't sell. Anthologies don't sell. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, well, I have to really think about why I'm going to do this anthology. I have to really get into the spirit of the anthology and figure out... You know, kind of break it down. What's what's the important elements in an anthology, and especially when it's something that's based on something else? Right. You know, if it's just an anthology with a loose theme, like love stories, then that's one thing. But when it's based on Mouse Guard, okay, so it needs to have 
what people already love about Mouse Guard, including my work, and then or what they're familiar with with Mouse Guard, which is also my work, right. and then all the other stuff that I want to tie together and how to tie it together cohesively, and and so the storytelling contest within Mouse Guard kind of. Uh, uh, helped with that glue, but I realized I have to do the covers and I have to do interiors. Yeah. Also. So I'm doing all the cavern scenes where the mice are, are talking about the stories that they're, uh, they're about to tell. And it's great because it guides you into the story too. And you know right. exactly what you're getting it. like what you're falling into. It's not just like I'm reading green lantern and I turn the page and there's a different artist. I'm like what the hell? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So in that way, it, it feels like a mouse guard book to me because I'm still working on, it. I'm still doing wraparound covers. Um, I just don't have quite as many pages to do. People that I handpicked that I want to see the work of are, are doing more of the heavy lifting. I assume it's got to give you a heck of a creative boost, too, to, to, when you get these pages to see the stuff from other people's points of view. Do you take any oh, yeah. of that into your regular title, into your regular work? Yeah, I do. Mostly it's just the energy, just feeling like, oh, wow, they did something different, or they did something better. Look how well they drew that weasel. i gotta, I got to draw my weasels better, or something like that. <laughs> I, I have been trying to start taking little details from those, from those, uh, at least Legends 1, the first volume, um, taking some of the details from those stories and putting them in the background of, of regular Mouse Guard stories. Towards That's the end of Black Axe, once, once Kelena is back on, on Mouse territory, I've put a few things in. There's a, there's a banner that's hanging that was featured in one of the legend stories. There's some other artifacts here and there. That's very cool. Little Easter egg stuff, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I just went through and kind of cherry-picked either the visuals that I really liked or the sentiment that I really liked and just thought, well, I'll, I'll kind of make that part of the real Mouse Guard universe. That's very cool. Speaking of which, when can we expect more of the regular Mouse Guard from you? Well, Black Axe comes out as a hardcover July 10th. Okay. Um, and that's going to be a bigger Mouse Guard hardcover than there has ever been. Really? Yep. It's the same six-issue series that, that my past ones have been. But then well, I have 22 pages of extras, so 11 two-page spreads. Oh, nice. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's just guide pages. There's also a four-page epilogue, an 11-page prologue, and then we always collect the awesome pinups that, that came with the series. But yeah, the, the 22 pages of, of extras was, was a big deal. Normally it's, um, it's eight or uh, four two-page spreads, and this time I, I cranked it up to 11. That's very and, uh, cool. We've got cutaways of every location. We've got guide pages and pages that describe different artifacts, just all sorts of stuff like that, family trees. And then after that, going forward, anything else you can we can break open here? <laughs> <laughs> going forward, I'm going to be taking a break from Mouse Guard just for a little bit. I'm going to take a little mouse vacation. Okay. Um, I've just had... I've had some, some projects sitting on the back burner that I realize if I don't do something with, it's going to be another. Because I've been drawing my, the mice for the last, like, eight years. Right. Um, if, I don't, if I don't take a little vacation and do something with that stuff now, it's going to be probably another eight years before I get around to it. So having just tackled, you know, Black Axe, I, I feel like right now is the time for, for a slight break. Sure. I'm going to do something like a little, probably like a little 48-page original graphic novel kind of a thing. Cool. Just something different, something that still keeps me moving creatively, but isn't mice. Sure. So that I can come back and really, really tackle the uh, the next big arc, which is the Weasel War of eleven forty nine. Oh, awesome! Yeah, <laughs> that'll be fun. 
Well, we absolutely love it here, and every chance we get, we're pumping it up on the show. I, I want to thank, well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Really looking forward to the Black Axe hardcover. Go out and pick up the new Miles Guard Legends of the Guard Volume 2, number one, available right now. David, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Huge thanks to David Peterson for taking the time to talk to us this week. Remember, you can find the first issue of Mouse Guard, Legends of the Guard, Volume 2, on comic shop stands right this minute. And you should buy it, just like I said. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Totally Gay for Marriage episode of THN. Listen, we're totally gay for all kinds of marriage. Right, all marriage is gay. That's right. If you love mixed political metaphors as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, or you can swear your THN allegiance by leaving us a star rating and written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us connect with other potential listeners. Now, I've heard that there may be a problem with leaving reviews on iTunes. If anyone else out there is having trouble, let us know. Hint, hint. That means give it a try. Just go ahead and try. If you're successful, it's a win-win for everyone. Hooray. And thanks to our most recent donor, Jeremy. If you'd like to help keep us in equality flags and matching grooms' tuxedos, you can make your donation in any amount, but $100 plus is preferred, using our adorable little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Weddings ain't cheap. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comicast, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, one word, and our new direct phone number, 402-819-4894. That's 402-819-4894. Where you can send slash call us with your Ask a Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever, we don't give a care. <laughs> and don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoEditNerd.com, including the old school archives yet another new column from the TD dubs where he talks about vintage toys and the long awaited saga of Casey's first time playing D&D in Monday's all new Girl Meets Nerd I'm so sorry I missed that it was a scene remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion and if you want to hear our answers along with your own written and audio responses be sure to check out the TwoEditNerd.com web exclusive audio blog the answer of the week that's right, fools. Next week, Matt's back, if he's lucky. Yeah. And we'll tackle one of your burning questions in our monthly Ask a Nerd segment. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to indie comics veteran Joe Pruitt, who suffered an apparent stroke this week. Aww. According to reports from his industry buddies, Pruitt is home from the hospital and in good spirits, but still has a long road to recovery ahead. Word to you, Joe. Get better soon. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics... Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Oh, yeah. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Bye. Great job, Dave. Thanks, Joe. F*** you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs)